0: Hello buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy, with the mighty Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group, headed by the one and only yours truly, and today we are bringing you episode 154, film 170, Blind Target, and on this film, I had a guest reviewer, a first-time guest reviewer, from the from the band Plastic Static, is Mr. Ryan Wynn. So yeah, he helped do some music for um, Lady Hyde, and uh, glad to have him on that. So yeah, so he he jumped aboard and uh, did uh, Blind Target with me. So that was awesome cool to have a first-time uh, reviewer on, especially after uh, 154 episodes, plus a few extra bonus ones, so yeah, it's good. Getting close to the end of the run here, we got, after this, we got about uh, 2, 4, 6, 7 more, and we might have some bonus ones or something, we'll, we'll see how it goes, it'd be nice to kind of wrap up after 161. Um away from Franco I will say that uh, I'm in the editing stages now of the Amityville or Killer which will be a short film in the Amityville Aliens uh, omnibus film I think me and uh, like five or six other directors and that's due for me I have to pass it off and deliver it to uh, Mr. Mr. Donald Farmer on December so kind of uh, on there and also I'm in post production editing still on um She knows Feratu, so it's another reason why I kind of want to wrap this podcast up, because I want to finish these two films, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do after that. I don't know if I'm going to do another film, or take a break, or uh, get back to doing some art, or I don't know, change directions. I might want to change my field as well. I'm a production assistant at a uh, cable station here in Sacramento. I've been doing CG and uh, doing um, technical director work on that, so it's fun doing those, but... uh, kind of not sure what we'll be doing so kind of at a little crossroads here so we'll see where the future bring us but uh yeah so it's interesting being a no-budget filmmaker here been doing it for a while um since uh, about 2007 and you know kind of get to the point where you have to figure out the law of diminishing returns your audience seems to shrink uh profits seem to shrink and you kind of get to the point where you don't know if you want to keep going on doing that or doing something else. Because, you know, life's short. And what you think is your um, career and your focus sometimes changes through life. I'm not the only one that goes through that. So, you know, just kind of at that point myself. So, And I'm sure Jess Franco felt that at times. Even though he was driven to keep making film after film. As we see with these later films, it might have been better if he would have... Uh, Stopped making films like you know 30 films prior to this or so, you know, definitely before the porno stuff. You know, I think if he would have ended around like uh, maybe, uh, uh, shit, I don't know, maybe four, let's see, kind of going through his list here of stuff he did. Um, maybe if he would have stopped around uh, Bahia Blanca that might've been as really good stopping. If would have stopped about 136 films, then, you know, took out the Bangkok films and white slave and Lulu's asshole. And, and all those, I think people would have had a little better opinion of them. Maybe, but block would have been a good, a good finisher. Definitely not doing fellow Cresto and dark mission and all these, you know? So I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of a lesson when I started this podcast. Um, did it, of course, when COVID was going on and uh, all the film stuff was stopped production. So I kind of had to have another outlet. And uh, I always knew that I'd learn from this podcast, and I have. And maybe it's a lesson I'm learning here. I always try to learn something on each episode. And that is to, uh, you know, maybe sometimes stop in your head, Don't keep going down the path because, uh, I don't know, some might like your later films. Some might like your earlier films. But I don't know. you got to figure out what you want to do, so... But anyway, that's enough of that stuff, so kind of rambling there. Um, so, like I said, we are on episode 154, of film 170, Blind Target. Uh, and Here we go. Of course, we take all the uh, production information from the book Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2, by Mr. Stephen Thrower. All right, here we go. Blind Target, USA video title and DVD title. It was made in the year 2000. By the uh, Unglorious One-Shot Productions. Alternative title, Ob- Ob- Objetivo e Segas, Production company, One-Shot Productions. I already know that. Theatrical distributor, Subrosa Studios, which is the DVD I watched. Officially licensed one by Subrosa. I think I got it at Trash Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, yeah, also, too, there's a good uh, documentary that I didn't watch, but Ryan did, um, Intended Criminal. I have that as well. I probably need to watch that and check that out as well. I probably should have did that, but I might do that on a later one. Uh, Let's see. Shooting date on this, January 28th to February 8th. Looks like about a 10-day production uh, in the year 2000. January 28th to February 8th of 2000. Uh, Spanish came out on Impacto Films VHS and U.S. The Sabrosa DVD uh, came out on VHS in 2002 and the Sabrosa DVD came out in 2005, five years after this film was shot. Running Time, USA Sabrosa DVD, 86 minutes, 20 seconds. Director, of course, Jess Franco. Story, Jess Franco as David Kuhn Jr. Uh, Adaptation, Kevin Collins, J. Douglas Foxworth, script by Kevin Collins, producer Kevin Collins, Peter J. Ivanko, Karen Wong. You see them on the uh, behind-the-scenes footage included on the DVD. Uh, music by Jess Franco, Daniel J. White, Latin music, Gallo Espinosa. Songs, Dead Eyes, music by Brian Horwitz, Randy Ramos, performed by Ubangis. Thank God it's only just one song. Uh, and then, of course, Floro de la Higuera, Mir de Amor, Gracias por tu amor, Camir de Amor, Claridad, Vamos Hermano, music and lyrics by Gallo Espinoza, produced by, performed by Crystal Andonius González. That's the thing I was telling um, Ryan. These later films have such bigger credits than his. Better earlier films, which is crazy. I guess the more people you have, the worse film you make or something. I don't know. On his case, so he's got uh, let's see a director of photography, Emilio Skargoski, actually, just Franco, editor Guillermo Morales. It's funny, he didn't write he didn't edit this, and the editing's pretty good. First assistant director, Rosa Al Morale, of course, which is Lena Romay. Um, it doesn't say that here, but that's who it is. Uh, special effects, he's got a camera assistant. He's got electricians, two of them. He's got technical supplies, Manicoa Films, Uh, art director. He's got a makeup person, a stills person, production manager. Uh, He's got a casting agent. He's got digital mastering. Uh, He's got, uh, wow, Um, production assistant, direct sound, technical services. Miss Quigley's wardrobe provided by Karen Wong. Uh, Television sequences provided by One Shot Productions, USA. Transportation provided by line producers, 1, 2, 3, 4. He's got uh, three associate producers produced in Spain. God damn. Uncredited martial arts choreography, Olivier Denise, which I don't think I'd be taking credit for that. There's really bad martial arts in this film. Sound recording engineer, Grip. English dialogue coach and blood wrangler Lena Romay. Yeah, she squirts it on uh, uh, Lena Quigley's face, which is funny. Uh, cast. Uh, Raquel Cabra as Rachel Shepard plays Maria. Olivier Denise as Oliver Dennis plays Greg. Tatiana Cohen plays Beatrice. Lena Romay plays Tora. Uh, Roger Pavlik plays Leonard Radic. Of course, we know Radic R-A-D-E-C-K is from... Um, uh, the Dessad, and of course, many of Just Franco's earlier films like eugenie and um, um uh space a bunch of names right now, but eugenie and uh Justine, and all those, so yeah, it's from uh Desaad. um let's see we have the uh we have this, okay uh Lena Quigley as Serena, and of course Johnny Carson, not the real Johnny Carson a guy named Johnny Carson plays Junko. Brian Horowitz plays bodyguard one. Paula Peters plays Howard. Mavi Tinda plays Melissa Bird. Robert King plays Duarte. Joaquin Sanchez Miranda plays bodyguard two. Ezekiel Caldes plays Taurus Thug number one. Milios Skarsgårdowski plays Taurus Thug number two. Peter Ivanko plays Luis. With Hazen Lennon as Maria's aunt. Stephen Barrymore as Howard Vernon. <laughs> Uh, Genevieve Guinnesset plays a housekeeper, and uh, Barman Wearing Spectacles is played by Peter Ivanko. Let's see. Alright, production notes. Red Silk and Broken Dolls were shot in September and October 1999 with Helter Skelter slotted in soon after. Just three months later, in January 2000, Franco's production wagon was rolling again with a politically-themed thriller called Blind Target, easily the most elaborate, ambitious, and formally disciplined film just made for one shot. It even had a second unit shooting in the USA, picking up all the material seen on the TV sets throughout the film, including Leanna Quigley being interviewed on the American TV News. Ezekiel Caldes recalls, It was great fun to shoot Blind Target. We were a bigger crew. Production Kevin Collins came over from the U.S. for the shooting. I think the original idea of the film was from Kevin, and then Jess worked on that script. But it wasn't his story. There was a little bit more money than the other productions, although I believe the budget was lower than Killer Barbies versus Dracula. We talked to Jess about Olivia Denise, who did the choreography in Quat." and he liked the idea. Afterwards, he was very pleased with the results of those scenes. As in the other films, Emilio and I were in charge of the entire production, so it was quite a lot of work, but we had a lot of fun. To shoot up in Montes de Malaga was pleasant, very nice locations. There were tense moments as well. I remember in the Hotel Malay shooting in the suite with Tatiana Cohen and Rachel Shepard. Tatiana was very nervous. She wasn't able to say her lines in understandable English. Kevin hid himself in the closet. Jess and Lena were very angry. I didn't know what to do because it was my job to help Tatiana with the English lines, but she was too nervous. So Jess had one choice. He suspended the shooting until the next day. The next day, everything went all right. Speaking in 2003, Collins himself downplayed his role in the initial creation of the film. My experience as a writer and blind target is minimal and a bit exaggerated. Jess invented the story and commissioned us to prepare the script. My fellow scriptwriter did a little treatment and then we added the brief elements. Most of my contributions were in the dialogue area, trying to give the tone of authentic conversations to the characters, which sometimes is difficult because it is not easy to sound authentic when a character does fantastic things, the only real and tangible contribution I made to the story was the creation of Melissa Bird's character, but the role was shortened in consideration of the time we made the movie, so all the compliments should go to Jess, since he was the one who created the ideas and watched all the time until they were put on the movie. Emilio Skargodowski was among those now very happily in const in the production. Jess is the only person I know who raises our salaries movie after movie without us having to demand it. This was compensated with a hard fight on every receipt that was spent on production. All expenses must be well justified and supervised, or you had to pay for it out of your pocket. This path is hard, but it certainly is the best way to learn. Brian Hortz's documentary, Intended Criminal, is a fascinating look at the production of Blind Target. The basic crew came down to Franco... As director, camera operator, and director of photography, plus Emilio Skardoski, camera and lighting assistant; Guillermo Morales, sound recordist; Ezekiel Caldes, production manager and assistant director; jo- Joaquin Sanchez Miranda, practical effects; Mario Caffer and A. Ripole, electricians and occasional camera assistants. The roles are clearly fluid, adapting to any eventuality. See, for instance, how Guillermo Morales, the sound engineer, casually takes on the role of grip, pushing Jess's wheelchair dolly as he shoots a scene in the tiled lobby of the Hotel M- Melia. Electricians Mario Kaffer and A. Ripoll take turns waving foliage to create shadows for simulated traveling car shots or hold up the light reflectors. Ezequiel Caldas coaches coaches the actresses who have difficulty speaking English, and Lena Romay squirts Lena Quigley in the face with fake blood for her death scene. Everyone mucks in. Freyko spoke revealingly about the film during Antenna Criminal. Referring to the lower-than-usual level of sex in the film, he said, I don't think to show the eroticism of those sequences is essential for the story that I am trying to explain. I think I was very kind of journalist explaining something without getting too involved in it. I made an effort because in general, in all my films, the camera and myself would get involved with the persons there. And in this case, I tried to treat it, you know, like a news journalist or a TV network or something like that, to be kind of colder. I think in this case, I got what I wanted, which was to give a terrible impression of someone who's completely alone and in the hands of an enemy. There's nothing that she can do what they want. they Wait. There's nothing she can do but to do what they ask you to do, and it's the heart, the motor of this film. The excruciating highlight of A Criminal is the incident referred to by Ezekiel Caldez, in which Teresa Cohen struggles for what feels like an eternity with the line, Can't you see I've stayed in good shape? Franco shows enormous patience, leaving the actress alone to rehearse and rehearse, and yet the simple phrase keeps coming out hopelessly mangled. At one point Franco and Caldas, the later working as a dialogue coach, struggled to get the actress to pronounce the single word shape, only for the letter P to go missing in take after take. It's funny but also very painful. Cohen is clearly out of her depth. The scene was her first ever and she was very nervous acting naked, Caldas told me. And you feel for her as she tries to learn her lines phonetically in an alien tongue. You also feel for Franco as the task of getting a halfway usable performance turns into a Xeno's Arrow's nightmare, where the more effort is expended, the more functional the problem becomes, from a fluffed line to a fluffed word to a fluffed letter. What's clear from watching him closely is that it was far from amusing at the time. He looks quite exhausted, dispirited even, as he sits smoking and staring into... Space listening to the actress making a harsh, a hash of her rehearsal in the adjacent room. <clears throat> you suspect that his thoughts are drifting back to his days with Howard Vernon, Maria Schnell, Christopher Lee, Herbert Long, Mercedes McCambridge, George Sanders, Klaus Kinski. It's also worth cringing through the whole sequence, though, to see Lena Romay cradling Franco's head against her stomach in sympathy. Of course, the big question, lacking, lurking in the viewer's mind, is. Why didn't he just dub the actress later? This, after all, was the way things were done in the 60s and 70s when international casts would speak the language, would speak the lines in their own language, save in the knowledge that the dialogue would be added later. Although dubbing definitely took place on the one shot films, it sits alongside a curious insistence on live sound recorded in English. It leads inevitably to problems as inexperienced actors wrestle with the unfamiliar language while also trying to give a believable performance. And review by Stephen Thrower. Uh, Blind Target is the odd one out among Franco's video productions. It's also it's a political thriller with some Bond-style espionage trappings, although in the case, although in this case, without irony or quotational playfulness. The scope is ambitious, taking in political assassinations, international intrigue, hostile media scrutiny, and the difficulty of being accepted by your homeland after finding success abroad. Also incorporates torture, blackmail, and sapphic sex, although the latter is concentrated in just a single encounter, which thankfully does not outstay its welcome. There's an increased briskness and real-world texture to the project, perhaps because, as Franco said in the interview quoted above, I try to treat it like a news journalist to be kind of colder. The stark clarity of the photography sees Franco dispensing with video post-production effects and concentrating on a realistic Missing in scene, lit with clarity that works with the clinical quality of video, rather than ignoring it or swapping it in, in digital effects in an attempt to break the curse. If, as I suggested, shooting on video, failed for inherently technical reasons to achieve the dreamlike aura for which Frankly generally aimed, then Blind Target sees him advancing a different structure, structuring principle, journalistly reportage for which detachment or coldness is very appropriate." This, however, was not what Franco commentators were looking for at the time of Blind Target's release. The project was poorly received, mainly because it lacked the, by now, anticipated lashings of sex and violence. For anyone who grows weary of slow-motion lesbian sex, however, it's refreshing and quite exciting to find Franco returning to his craft of storytelling again. Like Broken Dolls is a film that owes more to the cinema than it does to the world of streaming video porn, and that's not a bad thing considering the overall spread of Franco's career. Blind Target has a script, a story, a narrative that connects to the real world, and it doesn't ask you to spend literally half an hour watching people waving their crotches at a video camera. It's very true. But while the sex and violence play second fiddle to the story here, they do emerge from time to time. The heroine makes love to her female best friend, only for a secret camera recording to be used to discredit her with the American authorities and the media. As for violence, when Rachel is interrogated by the villainous, villainous Torah, Lena Romay really sinks her teeth into the role of a sick torturer, a woman who enjoys her work, just as Howard Vernon's Dr. Milton Costa did in Women in Cell Block 9, 1977. If there's one aspect of Blind Target that sticks in the throat somewhat, it's the depiction of the female lead as a helpless little lady who has to be saved by her hunk-o-man ex-husband. Given what we learn at the start of the film, that the couple have recently split up, and Maria is established in the script as someone who values her independence, it's a bit much when the husband pops up in the final reel to act as her wife's savior. Bearing in mind how persistently Franco favors girls on top, and how frequently he depicts men as either helpless schmucks or raging monsters. I suppose we should let this one pass, but I can't help feeling it would have been preferable for Maria to have fallen for a new action man rather than being steered back to the one she was ready to divorce. Music. In an interview published at the Trash Palace website, Brian Horowitz of the Ubangis was ambivalent about the merits of the band's title theme, Dead Eyes. Uh, he says, The big mistake was allowing a third party connected with the production try to write lyrics. It ruined the formula. <laughs> The opening scene of Maria walking home through what looks like a deserted college campus, Franco drops Daniel J. White's monologue Por Saxo Tenor on top of a looping instrumental phrase from the Bengi song and the two musical pieces fit perfectly together. Not just in the same key, but in the phrasing and harmonic changes too, showing Franco's musical ear and a sensitivity to melodic counterpoint. Locations The Hotel Melia in Malaga The Restaurantes Los Montes on the outskirts of Malaga uh, Apartmentos Borelitos, Malaga, a shopping center in Tormelinos. Connections. Over Overtly political themes are rare in Franco's films. Rafifi in the City, 1964, deals with corruption and political life with an ex-drug smuggler aiming for high office in an unspecified Latin American state. The women in prison film aims... A few barbs at repressive dictators without making the attacks too specific, although you don't have to look too far for a likely target. Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun, 1976, exposes the corrupt power of the unrestrained Catholic Church. Double standards and hubris in American foreign policy are attacked in Dark Mission, 1987, and Esmeralda Bay, 1988, and the evils of fascism provide a colorful backdrop for a tale of love during wartime and fall of the Eagles, 1989. more recent films only red silk touches on politics with the villainous Cyrus Kalman waxing nostalgic for the pre-revolutionary military government of Portugal Lena Romay threatens to torture Rachel with a pair of heated hair tongs applied to her vagina as she did to another poor unfortunate in 1981's La Noche de los Sexos Aparitos so alright there's the writings for this film Uh, now I'll give you a quick plug Of course, I have uh, Blu-rays for sale. Uh, You can get Motto Sacramento, the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1 and Volume 2, Nudie Cutie double features of Desires of Dawn and Mondo Visions, Lady Hyde, uh, Manuel and Sin City, and Succubon Octopus Pot are all available on Blu-ray through my Desperate Visions Productions uh, DVD label. Uh, If you're interested in buying those, you can reach me at DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com or FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. Uh, if you want to support me in other ways, you could watch Lady Hyde or Mondo Sacramento 2 on the Tubi streaming channels. Um, every time people watch those, I get a little bit of money, so it definitely helps. Uh, you can also donate on the Red Circle homepage. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, go ahead. Uh, if you want to leave a review or rate the podcast, feel free. Of course, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. No longer on Stitcher because that's rest in peace. uh, Radio Public and a lot of your other favorite uh, podcast platforms. You can always tell a friend. Tell a friend about Desperate Visions Productions. Tell a friend about the Franco Observer podcast. Spread the word of Jason Rudy and Desperate Visions Productions. Of course, with zero budget, any outside help is always appreciated. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, of course you can at FrancoObserver at yahoo dot com. Uh, we have a Facebook page for the Franco Observer podcast. We have Instagram pages. Go ahead and add those. We always have new uh, pictures of uh, stuff I got going on, films, and of course letting you know of the uh, every new Franco Observer podcast episode that comes out. So you can find us on there. Check us out. All that good stuff. So. Alright, uh, hang out past the break, and you'll hear the little bumper for the uh, Blu-ray deal there. And then on the other side of that, you'll hear the review of Blind Target with myself and special guest Ryan Wynn. So, thank you very much, and I'll see you on the other side. Buenas noches. Maha. This is filmmaker Jason Rudy with Desperate Visions Productions, and I'm here today to talk to you about my Blu-ray releases, all new this year, 2023, from Desperate Visions Productions. This has been a busy year for me, as I have put out Lady Hyde on streaming services, Emmanuel and Sin City on streaming channels, and my film from 2013, Mondo Sacramento 2, which is on streaming channels. Lady Hyde is on Tubi and Amazon Prime. Emmanuel and Sin City is on The Reveal Network and a few other streaming channels. And Mondo Sacramento 2 is on Tubi and Momitu. So please check those three titles out. And tell others about them. On the Blu ray front, I am here today to talk to you about the six new releases from Desperate Visions Productions. We have the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, titled Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions. It has four short films, totaling 117 minutes long, is unrated and has the special feature of The Creative Process, of Volume 1, interview by Cameron Cloutier of Yours Truly, Jason Rudy, talking about my filmography and stories behind the films. On Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions, Volume 1, we have the films Room 412, from 2007, The Last Road to Hell, from 2008, Chump Change, from 2010, and The Dirty ABC Rhyme from 2016. On the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 2, we have titled Demon Dames and Desperate Visions. We have the films Lady M from 2010, The Hunt for Super Fox from 2014, Simone, Le Femme de Monde from 2015, and Report 2057 from 2016. That runs approximately 116 minutes, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Interview Part 2, which is a continuation um, of the past films and all that good stuff. Also, we have a late-night Nudie Cutie Cinema double feature featuring two films, two Nudie Cutie films from yours truly, uh, titled The Desires of Dawn and Jason Rudy's Mondo Visions. The Desires of Dawn is from 2014 and runs 66 minutes, unrated, and Mondo Visions is from 2016 and runs 65 minutes, and that is unrated. Total running time on that is 131 minutes. It's 1080p high-definition widescreen, and all discs are AVC encoded and PCM stereo. And these two films each have audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy. I give uh, brand new audio commentaries recorded specifically for these Blu-rays. Uh, the Desires of Dawn was previously on VHS uh, on uh, excuse me on DVD. Monovisions uh, had a short theatrical run, but this is the first time anywhere it's on home disc in the United States or worldwide. So yeah brand new film so check it out and we also have of course lady Hyde from 2022 it's unrated runs 78 minutes is 1920 by 1080p full hd resolution avc encoded pcm stereo and that has the special features of audio commentary with writer director jason rudy theatrical trailer and a lady Hyde behind the scenes photo gallery and uh yeah it's a good release all these are region free by the way so if you're listening to this anywhere in the world, they are available to play on your Blu-ray player. There's no region A, B, or C. They're all encoded to be region-free. And finally, the last two discs we have are Emanuel in Sin City, the uncensored version. A lot of uh, Tubi and Amazon Prime would not take it because of the sexual content, so this is totally uncensored, totally uncut. And was deemed too erotic and extreme for major streaming channels. But you will see it here on Blu-ray. And that has, of course, special feature audio commentary with myself, Jason Rudy, trailer reel, and uh, exclusive behind-the-scenes photos, and more. So that's from 2023, which is the newest film. And finally... Uh, The sixth release, which we just put together, is Mondo Sacramento from 2011, I believe. No, sorry, 2012. And that's 63 minutes, unrated. Special features, audio commentary, recorded specifically for... I actually know it's the the audio commentary that we used for the DVD release of it years ago with uh, actress Boots Trader, who's in the Batgirl segment, and actress Sondel G who is in the Ricky the Vampire of Sacramento segment so we have uh, and then of course with myself as well so we have writer, director and uh, actor commentary on that and then we have uh, a never before seen behind the scenes footage um, that I found for the Batgirl stripper sequence that uh, was pretty cool, nobody's ever seen that before so that's a special feature on that And a behind-the-scenes pictures of the filming and of the premiere of Mondo Sacramento back in 2012. And, uh, yeah, so that's available. All six releases, which is 13 films total, are now released on Blu-ray. And they are sold by myself, the director and producer of the films, If you are interested in picking up any of the Blu-rays, they sell for $20 each plus shipping and handling if you're ordering them online or anywhere outside of Sacramento. Uh, If you want to have information on that, you can always find me and inquire about purchasing the discs on the Franco Observer page on Instagram, the Franco Observer page on Facebook, or you could write me at desperate visions at yahoo.com that's desperate visions at yahoo.com which is the desperate visions productions email address Um, and if you want to purchase all six in one swoop I will give you a discount and uh, pretty much the discount you save will pay for the shipping and handling so yeah please support fellow independent cinema and this is a one-man operation, so I sincerely appreciate your support. So yeah, once again, Emmanuel in the Sin City, Lady Hyde, Mondo Sacramento, the Late Night Nudie Cutie Cinema double feature, and the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 1 and Volume 2, all available on Blu-ray, disc, region-free, with lots of special features. So let's pick them up today. DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com Thanks for your support and I'll see you at the movies. All right, we are back with episode one fifty four, film one seventy, Blind Target. Uh, we are now in the shot on video portion of the uh, Jess Franco canon, and uh, joining me today, who uh, has also seen this film and um, had written to me to uh, want to do a uh, episode of this podcast before it ends its run. Today I am joined by Mr. Ryan Wynn. How are you today, Ryan?
1: Doing well. How are you?
0: Good, thank you. So, um you had seen this film before, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, this was my first time watching it today. Um briefly, I'll just say it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be.
1: <laughs> I agree.
0: Yeah, you know, um it reminds me. I mean, it is shot on video, and it's like movies that I would make or my friends would make. Which I feel bad saying it because it's just Franco, and it's like I I love his spirit of still doing films and such. But it's just like well, wow, it's the same guy that did you know, *Vampiros Lesbos* and did uh, *Incubus* and all these great, beautiful films, *Venus and Furs* and all this. So now he's kind of doing these kind of like shoddy type you know, direct a video, shot on video film. So it's it's kind of a step down, but it's very still cool to see him still working and there's still a lot of his fingerprints all over these films, you know? Oh yeah. So um uh let me think okay so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna go ahead and uh, give the quick um synopsis of the film on the uh blind target um Sobrosa DVD I have. I had two of these. I had the black cover one and this really funky looking uh double one it's got like a couple double pictures on it and of course um leanna quigley gets uh top credit even though she's like barely in the film you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right it says um maria beltrain immigrated to the usa from san hermosa at an early age and now returns as an adult after writing a best-selling novel betraying the evil and corruption in the government of her dirt poor native land What was planned as a simple press junket through Latin America quickly evolves into a living nightmare of murder and kidnapping as she is caught up in the ongoing factions, waging a dirty war of political insurrection. Stripped of her freedom and forced squarely into the middle of an assassination plot, Maria must weigh the odds between self-preservation and civil war. Facing the perils of torture, rape, and the secret police, she can't trust either her CIA friends or her insurgent enemies. Her finger is on the trigger, but soon she just might as well be the blind target. So, yeah, I mean, um, it has that kind of Esmeralda Bay kind of feeling with the political sides and somebody being kind of caught in the middle. Um, I saw a lot of the just Franco feelings of like, um, of a general Franco and kind of the stuff that he went through when he first fled Spain. And so, I, I can see where his heart was and like he likes the kind of anti-Spanish political kind of stuff with Spain and their censorship and stuff. And when they're talking about her, you could kind of tell that there's some things that is kind of pointed to him. Maybe like people thought about him or said about him with his films and, and what he was, his morality and things. But, um yeah, I mean, it definitely reminded me, I mean, even though it was Maine 2000, it reminded me of like those 90s kind of – double side kind of, you know, assassination films. I can see that. Yeah. What did you like about this film?
1: Well, I, I may have a soft spot for it because it was the first of his shot on video ones that I saw. Okay. And then also seeing the, uh, the full length making of um, antenna criminal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have that, but and I haven't it, watched it yet.
1: Uh it it's the movie's way better after having seen that. Okay. Uh, I know there's a part you've probably mentioned that Stephen Thrower wrote about in the book where the actress keeps getting the line wrong. Um, It goes on forever, and it it goes from being funny to being sad, but then the part where um, Jess is just in another room and Lena just kind of cradles his head against her stomach. I mean, it's it's just so cool to see, even though he's frustrated, it's really cool to see that part of their relationship, and it kind of gives me a more endearing feeling towards the uh, product that they finished with.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately I hadn't read um, the flowers of perversion um, um, entry of this film. I was kind of in a hurry. So I watched the, there has been a few times where I just watched this film cold, which may have helped or may not have helped it. But, um, and I, and I watched not a criminal yet. So after I record this portion, I'll probably do both and I'll probably raise my, v- opinion of the film maybe so to speak because i i see that you that you felt that way so
1: yeah it's i yeah i kind of like uh the documentary better than the actual film but i don't know it's i still liked the the film overall
0: yeah i mean there's a lot of humorous things about it um i i kind of did some basic notes um it opens with Washington D.C. stock footage, which is I thought was really funny because it's on film and it's really outdated. The footage and it doesn't match his video footage uh, right off the bat. I was like, "Oh God," you know. And all the um, and in these video films, all of his fonts are like lowercase. He doesn't use capitalization, and they're they're always odd looking. It's just like like why is he choosing to do this? You know?
1: Yeah. And of course, it opens with the Ubangis song, and I was kind of worried that was going to be through the rest of the film, and thankfully it wasn't. Same I mean, here. Bad, but I'm not going to say anything bad about a band, but no, I'm, but this it's, fair a, it's a little it sticks out a little bit in his films.
0: Yeah, I am not a Ubangis fan. I had never heard of them before, experienced their music through these films, and I, I me, mean, like my favorite band is is uh, the Cramps. So whenever I hear the Ubangis, I think there's like a piss poor cramps impersonation. Like that's all I hear. I'm like oh god, not them again. And luckily, they just did the opening and ending theme, which might have been the same song. I'm not sure. But the rest yeah. of the soundtrack is is a really good. I thought I was really impressed with the soundtrack. It's like wow, it's good Franco music, you know?
1: Yeah, and he even uh, looped part of the Ubangi song and had uh, a jazz uh, saxophone or something at the beginning. going Yeah, yeah. Over it. I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely helped. Yeah, no, I, I I'm on board with you when I saw the Ubangies on the box, I'm like, Oh God, here we go again, you know. And uh yeah, I I was really happy that their music was very small, just for some reason I guess just liked them or thought they had a name, so he wanted to definitely put their name on stuff, but I'm I'm really happy that he did his more traditional pan flute and jazz and, and lots of good um instrumental tracks on it, you know.
1: Yeah, I think that definitely helped.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately with a lot of these films, the dubbing is so bad. And not because oh, yeah. it, it doesn't match their lips or anything, but the level of the dubbing is way too high. It sounds fake. Um, a lot of times their lips are moving right, which is cool. I was kind of impressed with that, but it's just it just sounds so bad. And there's some parts where... The bad police guy, when he says his name, it's like a whole lower register, and it almost sounds like he's singing in another room, and a lot of it's just so bad, the dubbing in this.
1: Yeah, like background noise when one person's talking, and the person right next to them, when they talk, it's just crystal clear.
0: Yeah, it's weird, because he uses natural sound on one of the people, like you are saying, in the scene, and then he jumps to the dubbing of the other people, and it just sounds so bad to me. I'm just like kind of cringing and... Some of the dubbing which which is sad because it's just Franco and you know it's just like wow um so yeah th- this was made in the, in the year 2000 um and I always mark the first nudity in this film is at uh, 13 minutes long and uh, you see they lead Rachel Shepard and the other gal up against the glass where they're uh, making love and it's funny there's a scene where she sticks her face against the glass and it looks kind of comical and she puts yeah. her boobs in her ass, with her face is all smushed against it. I was like, well, "Why would he do that?" You know?
1: Yeah, it, I, that definitely was the weirdest uh, lesbian sex scene I think I've seen.
0: Yeah, but- and it's funny because he shoots it, and it's a good shot. It's it's uh a, through through a glass, and a mirror, which is a couple things on the checklist, and this and that, and then you see it's being um recorded by a hidden camera in the air vent even though from the air vent, it would have been at a higher level pointing down, but it's a straight on shot. So I'm like, how could they, yeah.
1: You know?
0: <laughs> and it's, and it's played on TV and he, uh, has it on videotape, uh, quite quickly and it's played on, you know, for people to watch and, and, and for her to watch later and, and stuff. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, Speaking of TV footage, the scenes of uh, Leanna Quigley's first appearance interviewing a guy on TV, that footage looked different than the rest of the movie, like they might have shot that on film or, or something. I'm not sure why it was.
1: Yeah, I I want to say I read that that, was, uh, that part was filmed in America. And okay. It may not have even been just uh, – it may have been from something totally different. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, you could tell because it was it was different camera or, or different film stock. Maybe it was um, – three quarters instead of a uh, VHS or who knows what it was but it definitely looked different it looked richer and and fuller and and now I was like wow okay I wasn't sure how that was done you know and it really stood out unfortunately I mean I don't know good or bad but it, it definitely it uh, definitely stood out yeah um let's see um I liked um I liked the um well later on there's a scene where Lena shocks her and I liked that cheap shock device they used. That's very practical, Jess. Where it's a machine for something else, and it's just the two wires taped on her head, and and <laughs> it was effective. And I thought it looked good. And those things that I really like as a filmmaker, seeing practical devices that still give the same effect and are done on a really small budget.
1: Yeah, it was good to see the uh, curling iron make its appearance for the first <laughs> exactly. <final one. laughs>
0: yeah, I remember that from like uh, a couple older Franco films. I think it might have been. Um, uh the one with Brigitte Leahy, I think, is one of the ones they use that in and, and a few other ones. But yeah, I was like, oh here you know, here we go again. Very cool, you know. Um and of course, like so many Jess Franco films, one thing I never put on my list was does this film involve a a, a hotel or a, a hotel lobby? Like that's like a common reoccurring theme in Jess's films. You know, he loves shooting in hotel lobbies. Yeah,
1: and and one of these was was it the same hotel from uh, Night Has? Uh, oh man, I'm blanking the name of the film. Night Has a Thousand Desires with the really, um, I think in the scene where the husband is out in the Middle East, it looked like the same uh, windows to me, but I'm not 100% it sure. It could be anything.
0: because I noticed in that, speaking of stock footage, when they go to the United Arab Embassies or, or uh, wherever he was, you could tell they used stock footage in that beginning section. And then it jumped to a hotel and then back to stock footage and back to a hotel again, so either that stock footage was from that film or it could have been that hotel I'm not sure i haven't I've looked it up to see, but uh it wouldn't surprise me definitely um yeah, uh, speaking of that, uh, speaking of that, the uh, husband character, I liked. There's a scene where I, he is like one of the goofiest characters in the whole film, and, and there's so many goofy characters in this film, like the fake police guy. Who I mean, jumping back and forth as we're going through this. The, the scene when the when the uh, when the fake or when the cop guy takes her passport, she doesn't she doesn't ask to see his ID or anything. If he is police, like she doesn't see. She just takes him at his word that he's like a, a secret police. Uh, and you know, that, that I thought was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, the husband wears like this, like a hoodie on his head, like he's in disguise and he does, these yeah. like one handed flips in the hallway for no reason. Like he's trying to be stealth and <laughs> it just looks so stupid.
1: Yeah. And I loved how he's like in all black, almost like a ninja, but he's yeah. driving this garishly red sports car, you know, like, he doesn't <laughs> want to stand out, but he's got this, you know, bright red sports car that he's driving.
0: Yeah, it's so, so goofy. It's just, there's so much of this stuff that's funny. And then, like, him, he does, like, later on, the big fight scene where he's fighting everything. I noticed there's lots of neck cracking and lots of uh, roundhouse kicks. Like, that's the thing. Like, Franco loved the the, like, uh, neck snapping move that he does over and over again. Just snaps everybody's necks. (laughs) Plus, the sound effects over that was really funny, too, I thought. It was, like, breaking of some other boards or breaking of something that they used for that.
1: Yeah, it sounded... I noticed it, especially when, uh, Lena's character, when her neck is snapped, it almost sounds like it, they did a little too long. Like yeah. I've never heard a neck, slap, a neck snap that long before.
0: <laughs> I know, yeah. It was funny. It was almost like they were breaking boards or breaking something and just went, yeah, you were saying way too long. It was really, really funny. Um, but yeah, he, he's funny and, uh, there's, he has really lame fight scenes. There's one scene where he fights a guy holding a broom and like does a bunch of moves <laughs> with his broom. It's like why?
1: <laughs> yeah. And at the very end, he actually sweeps a little dirt on the guy's face. Oh, I didn't catch that. first it's funny. Time I, yeah. I, I caught it this time and I had to laugh.
0: <laughs> yeah. He does like a little Bruce Lee kind of like, come on, move to him. I was laughing. I was like, okay, he's trying to ape Bruce Lee's moves, you know? Um. Also th- this film I felt has the weirdest, quickest rape scene in any film I've ever seen. Yes. It's very bizarre.
1: <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that scene was something else. I, I've never seen anything like that before either. Just, it was, at least, you know, it was over very quickly.
0: Yeah, and there's real quickly no nudity. Uh, he basically just holds her hands above his, above her head and pulls his pants down and does like two pumps and a quiver and he's done. It's like, that's about it. All it was and then he just throws her on the bed and then calls her a whore and walks away. It's just like, wow, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that really advanced the plot much, but I guess, yeah. you
0: know. <laughs> and then it's funny. And then the husband goes to the guy later. Oh, you may be able to rape people, but can you fight or whatever? It's like, how did he know that he raped her? You know?
1: Yeah. It's like, does and he have he,
0: secret vision or what? You know?
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, otherwise, why didn't he stop it? If he knew it was happening, why didn't yeah. he go back? Stop it then.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, why I was like weird? It's like, so that stuff w- was written and really, really funny. Um, But yeah, no, that was funny. And like. I wrote my review was it wasn't too bad uh I gave it two out of five stars basically um and uh yeah, I don't know it was like I said it was just funny that it's cool that Leanna Quigley did this, and they use her face on the pictures and, and they really push her being in it, and you know she's not really in it that long um and it's weird because then the guy says that she works for them, but then they kill her, like in the assassination thing. I guess to tie up any loose ends or something. I, I, I would yeah. guess.
1: Yeah, that that was kind of strange. And but I, there's a part around that time when uh, the main character is asking them, you know, why um, why not just have Linnea Quigley kill the guy? And I thought the the best line of the entire movie was the guy says, uh, "Don't try to understand anything." It's almost like Jess is telling you himself good call try just just go with it we're
0: we're gonna have fun yeah no it's funny yeah and that and that guy was really cheesy he uh his earrings and his like laughing and i mean he was a decent actor and then there was the guy that his name's uh johnny carson i guess was the actor's name the kind of cowboy guy singing a song with the girl that has short hair that's in a few franco films as well that i guess plays his daughter and they kill her for no reason and put her in a wheelchair and push her into the scene, you know?
1: Yeah. The, the Johnny Carson guy I thought was funny because I want to say it's on IMDb. They actually used the night show host Johnny Carson's uh, image on the TV <laughs> <IMDb> page. <laughs> but uh, there's one thing I, I kind of want to go back. I, I probably should have rewound it at the time because um, that guy, you know, they're, he's singing in the car and it's, you know, kind of a very kind of American sounding Thing. And then when he gets into the hotel lobby, it sounds like all of a sudden he has a British accent.
0: Yeah. Good call. Where he's talking to her by the cars and everything. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. He like sings some kind of a bar song about Jack Daniels or something, or her name yeah. was Jack and her name was Jill and some like drinking song basically. And they're all laughing, having a good time with this really
1: mm-hmm. shitty song, you know, for some reason he reminded me of the guy who made uh champagne and bullets. Okay. I haven't I seen that, but I know of to- it. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of that song from that movie. Uh, I haven't even seen the movie. I just know the scene with uh, the guy singing um, the shimmy slide, and it's, I almost wanted the guy to just break into that song. It just looks <laughs> perfect.
0: Yeah, um, um, Lena Romay wasn't too bad in this. I thought um, compared to her later film, she's kind of just like everything. Is kind of a, a step down from the prime Lena stuff. I mean. She's been playing more of a heel in these last few films, where she's, you know, really playing against playing playing the really evil, heavy person. And you can always tell it's her in the mask with her voice, and everything, and and, yeah. and killing the guy and stuff. And and um and I guess she did assist the directing on this because you saw the documentary. So I, I'm not sure how much directing yeah. she actually did or what, but that's what it claims in the letterboxed.
1: Yeah, and it also, I need to. Oh man, I, I should have been more prepared But I remember reading that Michelle Bauer Was originally going to play the main character Okay, And the movie was supposed to have been Made a few years earlier So then, you know, she wasn't able to do it And I thought that was interesting with um Especially with Linnea Quigley being in there too Um, That would have been An interesting film if it Yeah,
0: I mean The lead Rachel Shepard, she's been in like Mari Cookie, and she was in like Vampire Blues And, and she's in a few things And you know, I mean physically she's attractive and you could tell that she looks good on film and stuff but yeah her acting is like really really bad and 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 is she the one in the documentary that couldn't get the line straight?
1: Oh no, it's the other one. Um, the the girl that she has sex with.
0: Oh, that gal. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's the line where she's she says something like um don't you think I'm still in good shape or something like that? Okay. Uh, it, that line it, it's it, she goes from It's like an evolution of um, fine tuning it, but never getting it right for over and over again. And it finally comes down to her and just not being able to pronounce the P at the end of shape. So like over and over again, she's like, "Uh, don't you think I even go shy? And about, I don't know, it feels like 20 minutes. It's probably only seven minutes long, but that scene feels like 20 in the documentary where she's trying to get that line. And it's just, Jess is... It just makes you feel for him.
0: Well, and what's crazy is like he basically overdubs everybody, so I wonder why they didn't just do a couple takes and then move on, You know, if, if he's not going to yeah. use her dialogue anyway
1: from that scene, the, the raw dialogue. Yeah, and it, I think that he ended up using her voice for the entirety. I think that was actually that actress's voice, but the lead sounded like she was overdubbed by somebody else, so it doesn't really make sense why he would do one and not the other.
0: Yeah, unless he had her record her lines later on and it's her voice, I'm not sure. Or if it was just a totally different person doing the voiceover, uh, I'm not sure. The process yeah. of that, if it was, if he called people back and what, because it looked like they were speaking in English, because so their their lips were lining up with the dialogue. So that part I was noticing, it wasn't didn't look like it was Spanish audio and then English dubbed over it. But I'm not sure. Like I said, yeah. I didn't see the documentary. So I, I don't, I don't know the process, but it seems like it was done in, in English language, you know, even though oh, yeah. it was filmed over there.
1: It was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I know. I mean, these one shot productions are, and it's funny when I first got into Franco and started this podcast, everybody's like, Oh, wait till you get to the end, you know? And I just kind of, Oh, well, how bad can it be? You know? And, and I can kind of see that now, even though, um, what was the last one I did? Um, um, shit, uh, it was um, Broken Dolls. I thought wasn't bad, yeah. and this isn't bad. And I like Tender Flesh, but like I like the ones where he's more serious and he's trying to make a movie. When he's trying to be funny, like Mari Cookie and and the Vampire Blues and stuff. When he's trying to do humor, it to me it just doesn't work because uh, I don't think it's like funny or anything, and it's just like more like more groaning in, on, yeah. on my opinion. And this seems like, okay, he's trying to make a movie. He doesn't have the budget, but the editing in this was good. I like the pacing. It, it, it moves pretty good and stuff. I mean, there's some weak scenes of course, and he still does a slow motion too much. Like the scene where Lena shocking her and she's the slow motion a couple times in that scene, but he doesn't rely on it as much as he has in the other shot on video films I've seen so far. So that was a positive, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I watched uh, Broken Dolls last night actually because I, I was really I listened to the podcast episode that just came out. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and it was really interesting because I I can't remember if he did something. Well, this is the next film after that, right? So yeah, this came after um, that. So it, it's interesting because they are two totally different uh, feels to these movies. I mean, they're way different from each other as yeah. far as uh, you know the mood and the tone and everything. But they're, I I like them both.
0: Yeah, and it's cool too. So, the scene of her holding the rifle reminded me of uh, a Bahia Blanca. And, yeah. and, and a Broken Dolls kind of has that uh, a Bahia Blanca feel, like being on the island and the stuff going around and the house of psychotic women and that mixed together. So, I was like, okay, it feels like he's kind of dipping into that pool a little bit, you know? Yeah which is always cool. I mean, that's always a nice shot of a block of the woman in the dress hold in the, in the a wedding dress, holding the rifle. And in this, she's holding the rifle and she looked like she could handle the rifle. Okay. in this, it didn't look like too cheesy or anything. In my opinion, she looked like she was competent yeah. for, in that part, you know?
1: Yeah. I think really the only cheesy part in this movie, or the only thing that really stuck out after the movie was over, because it was so cheesy. If there was any other cheese in a movie, it overrode overrode all of it. It was yeah. just the uh, the ninja flips and everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, the big fight scenes. Oh, and actually I liked the uh the 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 uh, uh, scope shots, like where she's getting ready to kill and you see the scope effects over the scenes and with the green lines. I thought yeah. that looked pretty good and it was has some good tension to it and, and it was filmed competently and, and and stuff. So I mean it looked like he was trying to make a movie in this film, which is cool and, and like he's trying to yeah. make his own John Woo film or, or something. I don't know. He's trying, but it, but it definitely felt like, okay, just let's try to make a quote unquote Hollywood movie, you know, but on a smaller budget. And and so, you know, it, it definitely wasn't bad on that except for a lot of the dialogue and some of the scenes and silly parts that were kind of goofy, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, the comic book guy, now, now that you mention it, I just remembered him.
0: Yeah. And that, that's actually, I was going to, start on the list and I always say is there a scene where a person reads a book in the film and that was the scene where somebody reads a book in the film was the guy reading the comic book which was I was laughing you know so um, I'm going to knock out the Franco list real quick and then we could talk more after that um, so uh, number one on the Franco observer checklist body of water yeah we see a body of water right in the beginning the stock footage of the Washington Monument I believe there's the body of water there and then of course there's body of waters when they go when she goes on the plane back back home and there's a lot of body of waters there uh number two sailboat there's no sailboats in this film but number three boats there's a boat toward the end we finally see a boat that's like goes all the whole film we finally see one boat toward the end of the film Uh, number four palm trees yes number five jungle sound effects there's a lot of bird sound effects i noticed a little chirping and stuff that they overdub a lot which kind of overrides the scene uh, number seven. Uh, I'm sorry, number six. Chained up person. Well, she's tied up. She's not chained up, but I have that. So maybe it's a partial on that. Uh, nobody's chained up in a dungeon above their head, but the lady is tied up to the bed and tied tied up a few scenes. Uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage, stripping, no. Uh, number eight, club scenes, people dancing together in a bar, no. There's no mass dancing scenes. Number nine, jazz music. I say, yeah. There's the saxophone we talked about in the beginning, and there's kind of, kind of a nice, slight jazz feel to this. Uh, number ten, excessive zooms. Yeah, quite a few excessive zooms, especially the video era. Uh, Eleven, out of focus shots. I, I didn't catch too many. It, it seemed like it was pretty competent with his with his focus on this. Uh, number twelve, mirror shots. Yeah, there's quite a few. There's uh, the two gals in front of the glass. He uses a lot of mirrors in the room with the ladies tied up on the bed of Lena, with a mirror and a mirror and a mirror, and the guy together, oh, yeah. and he uses quite a few. Shot. Yeah, it's actually really good. Like, I was like, I I like that he was shooting a lot of reflections in this, which which was nice, you know. So so that that actually ended up being cool. Uh, number thirteen, mind control themes. Um, no, nobody's put under a mind control device, even though they do kind of like trick her with her friend being held captive, and she's not, but that's more deception than mind control. Uh, Fourteen, magic tongue scenes. No, Lena doesn't unleash the magic tongue in this, unfortunately. Uh, Fifteen, red light. No. Uh, Sixteen, sheepskin rug. No, it's mostly Dietrich. Or masturbation with a letter C item. No, not in this one. Although the last film there was, but not this. It was C for the uh, couch the uh, couch pillow in the last movie. I was like, oh, "All yeah. right." <laughs> it's like technically, it starts with the sea. Um, <laughs> number seventeen, mad scientist and servant. No. Eighteen fish tank shots. No. Nineteen talking parrot. No. Jess doesn't do any vo- vocal work as a parrot in this. Uh, twenty in credits, yes or no? Yeah, on the video ones, he does a a, a lot of in credits in this, which is funny because these shot on. I've mentioned in another podcast. These shot on video films. He has like some of his biggest crews, and they're like the worst movies he's done, which is kind of crazy, you know. Yeah, he has a huge crew of this, this, and that, and special effects, and all, like wow, that's kind of bizarre. Um, number twenty-one, handwritten signs, anything like that's really cheesed out, or nothing. I didn't catch anything on this. Uh, twenty-two spiral staircase shot. No. Uh, twenty-three inept cops. No, there's an not inept cops, but there's inept hitmen. The guy, the the hitmen in this are pretty bad. Uh, twenty-four belly chains. No, there was in the last film, but not this one. Uh, twenty-five kinks. Um, not really. It's more straight straight up sex stuff. I mean, there's no, not really the torture. They're not using it as a sexual device. They're using torture as torture. They're using you know. There's no S&M. There's no voyeurism. Well, I mean, voyeurism watching her on the... I guess voyeurism, possibly. That's basically it. Uh, 26, great headboards. There's actually some really nice headboards in this film on the beds, like wooden, ornate ones that were pretty cool. So I was kind of happy about that. Uh, 27, fear or desire. I'd say fear in this film. There's really not a lot of desire. It's more the being afraid of, oh, they'll kill her or this will happen. And and she's in fear the whole time. Uh 28, acoustic guitar player. Nobody on scene playing an acoustic guitar. Uh, 29, reading a book scene. Yeah. The scene we talked about, the guy um, reading the comic book, one of the hitmen. And finally, number 30, uh pee scene. No, nobody goes pee in this or talks about, oh, I got to go pee or, or nothing like that. So there's no uh urination in this film. Thank God. So, you know, yeah, Although although in Tender Flesh there's quite a quite a nasty urination scene in that so
1: Oh, I haven't seen that one yet.
0: Yeah, a lady pisses in a chef's uh chef's bowl, stands ah. up on the bar and just <laughs> shoots straight down and pees in the bowl and then he marinates the meat in it. So, yeah. I was like, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, this is um released through Rosa DVD, um and the antenna criminal is a cool um supplementary DVD they put out as well. I'm going to watch that. I, I had bought that as well, so I'm done, I definitely want to check that out. Maybe I'll do a podcast later on on some of the documentaries on Jess or something because there are a few of those out there, you know, T.O. Jess oh, yeah. and that and, and a few other ones that might be kind of cool, like supplementary deals for the for the podcast. So um, do you have any final words or thoughts or anything you want to talk about on this film?
1: Uh uh-huh. The only thing I didn't notice this first time I watched it, but I noticed it this time when uh, she was in uh, when she was supposed to be in Washington D.C. I remember looking at the door of her apartment and thinking, "Wow, that is a really cool door." And then when there's a scene where um, she's going to the lobby or somebody's going to the lobby. I remember seeing the exact same pattern on one of the doors in the lobby. So it's like, Oh, okay. So they just shot that in the same hotel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good eye. Good eye. I'll, I'll I'll definitely have to check that out and watch that out and stuff. So, well, cool. Well, um, thank you, Ryan, for joining me on this uh, episode. 154 film, 170, blind target. It's not a hard target or a target zero, but it's blind target. So I guess we have to like,
1: yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah,
0: no. Thank you very much, and uh, buenas noches.
1: Yeah, buenas noches.